Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Heidi Lewis. I'm Micah Glenn. And um, we're very thankful to be here today. I know it's going to be a little noisy, but we're going to try to make it work with the door open to keep it cooler. So if it's too noisy, we'll close it, but we're trying to keep you comfortable, all right? So Mike and I want to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, I'm Heidi. I grew up in white, middle-class suburbia. Uh, for most of my life, I grew up in Ferguson, Missouri. That we heard about last night, yeah. All right, I have been a DCE um, for about 20 years in suburban churches, 20 plus years. I've been a pastor now for three years, but my first two and a half years were serving as a missionary in Ferguson. Um, I'm white. I'm black. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. We love, I love St. Louis. I really love St. Louis, <laughs> uh, not more than Heidi. I have been serving as a missionary with my husband, who's also, he's a pastor, I'm a DCE, for six years in urban St. Louis. Uh, Heidi thinks I really get urban ministry. <laughs> I ask Micah a whole lot of questions. And I do my best to be patient. Yeah. All right. So we're going to share some perspectives, and um, we share our Jesus and our Lord and where God's taking us. Okay, as a city, hopefully, um, as a church in our city. So when we were coming up with these different things, the different kind of points we wanted to share, we wanted to put some highlights forward. And when it comes to ministry, but specifically urban ministry in a context that uh, more times than not in our church, we're different than the people we're serving. And, and one of the main things that I always try to impress on people when they come and ask me, hey, I want to go and do urban ministry, what is one of the most important things? And the first thing is community listening. Are you hearing the things that your community is actually asking you for, uh, the things that they need, or are you going to move in with your presuppositions and push them on the community? Because uh, the two things are very different, and if, if you're just trying to push an agenda without hearing what they actually need, uh, you're going to meet a lot of resistance, and, and you're going to be less effective. Also, uh, something that you'll find is that when you're in a hurting community, uh, like a lot of urban communities are, we think that we have everything. And in fact, when you, when you go in there, they're going to have uh, a lot of insight, they're going to have a lot of tools, and they're going to want to help you back. Uh, so many times when I was going to help somebody when I was in ministry, they would say, what can we do for you? And not taking that for granted, that they have stuff to offer. Uh, so when I was in seminary, we read a, a book called the Poisonwood Bible. Has anybody heard of the book, Poisonwood Bible? And so the Poisonwood Bible is about a, a missionary and his family going to Africa. And, and essentially, he had the mentality that he was going to bring this tribe to heal. He was going to modernize them and bring them into the Western world and kind of, you know, shape their community. And he wasn't a good listener. He, he would do like the Sunday services, but the rest of his time was away from the community, kind of in his own family, in his own household, uh, doing the things he was doing. And there's a story from the, the book where uh, he's hacking away at these thorn bushes. He's trying to clear these thorn bushes away to make room for a garden. And as he's hacking away, a village woman comes by and she tells him, that bush bites. And he's like, what a, a stupid thing to say. Of course, bushes don't bite, they're plants. And he keeps hacking away. And the next day he wakes up with blisters all over his body. And what she was trying to say by saying that bush bites is that the bush is poisonous. We stay away from it. We don't get the juice on us. And if you don't, it's, it's going to end up biting your skin. You're going to be sore. You're going to be raw. And so when you go into the community, people are going to be telling you things like, this is the part of the community you don't go. Uh, this, is, this street's dangerous. 
we don't like this store because of this. And if you don't listen to those stories, if you don't listen to the insight from your people that you're trying to communicate to, that you're trying to serve, you're going to end up getting bitten by the community. And again, you'll end up tired, you'll end up ragged, and you'll end up with sores spiritually, emotionally. Uh, simply, that could have been avoided if you, if you took the time to hear and listen to what your community is trying to tell you and what they're asking of you. So are you hearing what your community is asking you for and how they want to help you? Uh, that's a, one of the questions we want to, to impress on you and, and just get to rattle around your mind a little bit. One thing, and we're not going to go into it specifically in our time together, but partnerships is often how urban ministry happens. And um, I will say awkward partnerships sometimes. My church does a large food pantry, and we partner, our number one partner is the Catholic Church. And some people will say, that's awkward. No, it's not. We're feeding people. Anybody else, what are you hearing from your community? Because every community is different. She just said, so one of, they partner with some secular organizations, but they can bring Jesus through their partnerships um, in meeting needs in your community. They're the Jesus element of meeting needs, and we know that's the greatest need. All right, so the second um, main point we want to talk about a little bit today is loving in, with, and under our differences or being empathetic. So I'm going to tell you a couple stories. The first you probably know really well. Um, the Good Samaritan, and I want to kind of put this through the lens of it is a surprising friendship. So you have the Samaritan, and what we assume is a beaten, robbed up Jewish man. Never says he's Jewish, but we kind of assume that. And we know that Samaritans and Jews have a visible, palpable hatred of one another. So you have this wounded heap of a man who is robbed and victimized, passed by by a priest and a Levite, and the one who stopped and saw him and had compassion on him stopped his busy schedule, got off his donkey, took care of him, put him on the donkey, took him, nurtured him and said for the day, and then pays two months' salaries to the innkeeper, said, keep taking care of him, and I'll, if I owe you more, I'll pay you back on my way back through town. That's what I call a surprising friendship. One based against something that is, this, he went against social norms and um, he did not take into account what maybe his people, his heritage, maybe his lifestyle normally did. And in a sense, I like to use words, he chose love. So some stories that I've, I've seen, one I was going to say is choosing love is our food pantry that I just mentioned. Um, I live in urban South St. Louis, and our church is tiny. And in fact, a couple years ago, we were going to close, and that's when my husband and I came there. But the partnership for the food pantry was St. Stephen's Catholic Church and our church, and then um, uh, some Catholic nuns and the Neighborhood Association. And together still, we are operating together the third largest food pantry in, in St. Louis. Okay. And there's a lot of strong conversation, though. How can we start um, and help our neighbors be more like Jesus and providing for themselves and doing some food co-op and moving that way as we go, trying to, um, instead of always giving, but raising up. Um, so that's our surprising friendship. I want to tell you some stories of my friends. One of my neighbors at our church, her name is Anna. Anna is 70. 
I don't know. Anna um, lives in our neighborhood, and she came to our food pantry. And come, and she's, she's a friendly, friendly soul, and she's talked. And two 80-plus-year-old women who are faithful at our food pantry became her friend. And eventually one of them said, hey, Anna, do you want to come to church with me? And she's like, Anna's like, well, I, I, don't, I haven't gone to church a long time. And I was raised in a very different church body. And they're like, that's okay. We don't care. So Anna started to come. And these two 80-year-old women love Anna. They pick her up all the time. Anna walks our neighbor, doesn't have a vehicle. And these 80-year-old women, I'm like, oh, they drive sometimes in at night. Our neighborhood's not really good for all these white women driving at night. And they don't care. We're going to go, and we're loving Anna, and they pick her up. And then before you know it, Anna's a regular at a church. Anna's a prayer partner for one of our kids at church. Anna started coming to Bible study. And then the whole Bible study said, well, we're going to help with Bible school. And Anna's like, what's Bible school? Anna came to Bible school this summer, and one of our adult helpers. On the last hour of VBS, we take a group picture. You know who's sitting on the floor cross-legged with a mile-wide smile on her face? Who learned all VBS with the kids? Anna. Last late fall, Anna lives alone in a house a couple blocks from our church, and her house is kind of in disrepair. Anna doesn't have the skills to keep up the building. Um, a gentleman started, came to our food pantry, um, different color than Anna, generations different in age. But he, he told us, the very first time we met him, I just left jail. I've been there almost 20 years on very serious charges. And I came to this part of town because I'm really trying hard to avoid some old habits and some old relationships because I don't want to fall into that those sins again that caused me to go to prison the first time. But he was homeless and he was kind of couch surfing. But after he came to our food pantry the first time, he's like, because he had time, he's like, can I come back next time and help too? And he started coming and he started coming to church. But the next thing I know, three weeks in, this younger, different race, different storied man was offered a room in Anna's house. Anna said, I know you need a place to stay. I have an extra bedroom. I know you don't have money, but maybe could you help me a little bit do some things on my house that I don't know? So he's like, yeah. She provides a house and he provides some skills she doesn't have. A beautiful, surprising friendship. And after a few months, they parted ways. But it was a surprise. It was, when you hear it, you're like, wow, grace upon grace. So one of my surprises, um, I have a young woman friend, and, and we became very good um, friends, and, and she knows I'm committed to her for forever. We're that kind of friends. She's 30 years younger than me. And um, suddenly, three years ago, right before I was at NYG three years ago, her husband died unexpectedly leaving her a widow. And in her, in her sorrow, she became a meth addict. And she has been in and out of rehab. Here's me. I'm Heidi, and I'm a dork. I really am. And, and I, I love my very normal, vanilla, kind of boring life. And I have this friend who has a very different kind of life.
and we talk on the phone. She lives a couple states away, and we regularly are praying. And she knows, for her, I'm a truth speaker in love. I'll shoot straight with you, but I will always love you. She's vastly different. Um, but we love each other wonder wonderfully, and we're in it together for long haul. She makes me better. She makes me love better. She makes me look at things differently. Her addiction didn't happen until her life turned upside down in a terrible accident. Surprising friendships. I think when we're in urban ministry, loving well, being open to how God's asking us to love, um, causes surprising friendships, and that's how the gospel grows. So my question is, is um, where have you seen a surprising friendship, and how has it changed and shaped those involved? Uh, and so as we're, this is going to be like our last and third and, and final point just for today. There are more topics and more things we could talk about. Uh, but uh, something I found, uh, having grown up in a, a once suburb, but now a, a kind of an urban center, um, is that when you're serving people who need a lot, you're going to want to give a lot. And uh, ministry for me could have gone 24 hours a day uh, if I had given people access. It was one of those things where I, I stopped giving my cell phone out because I learned people would text me at 2 o'clock in the morning as they were having an emergency. And not that I didn't want to be there for them, but I have three children, I have a wife, I have my own life, and you, you're going to have to take breaks. And you, you can only do what you can do. Uh, and there's only so much time that God gives each individual. And accepting that is difficult, but it's something that you have to realize. Uh, and so my wife, for the first 13 years of her life, she lived in London. She was born there, and then she came to America with her parents. Uh, and she had volunteered in an urban community in high school in a tutoring program. And so when we got her call, she, was, she felt ready and equipped. And then she got a call to a church in our community in their uh, elementary school. And by her second day of work, she called me on the phone crying in tears because there was a kid that was applying to the school. And, of course, they are only so equipped for uh, children that need special education because of learning disabilities and so on. Um, and she calls in, there was a sixth grader that was trying to transfer into their school and she gave them the first grade math quiz uh, to test to see where they were. And the sixth grader on the first grade quiz got seven problems right. And so the, the kid needed too much help for that they could provide. And she's on the phone and she's crying and she was literally asking me to create an after school program for this one child. Um, now here's the thing, like, you know, you want to help and you want to do something, but I was explaining to my wife, I said, listen, that's, this kid is amongst the majority of the children in our community. Uh, research has shown, actually not research, you know, they do the skills test, and about 80% of the kids in our community are below a, the reading level they're meant to be at, and about 80% of high schoolers in our community graduate with less than a third grade reading level. And so the math problems weren't a surprise. And I said, listen, this is what we're going to attempt to do. Uh, and after school education program was in the plans, but I was like, I can't do it for one kid because we have thousands of kids in the community that are same, in the same boat. And so accepting that is tough, that you can't help everybody that comes across your table. Um, and what you're going to end up doing if you try to help each individual at the level that they need help is you'll be burnt out. And then you won't be able to serve anybody. 
And so accepting what you can do and taking care of yourself so that every day that you go into the community, you're at your best. Uh, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-recognition. Uh, and it's a challenge. Um, it's part of the, the process. And uh, something that I, I've learned that crosses over as I was going off and doing my presentation about Ferguson and rural communities, you find a lot of the same scenarios. You find drug addiction, you find poverty, you find a lack of education. Um, and so no matter what scenario you're in, accepting that you're one person, that you only have so much bandwidth and, and so much capacity to help other people, uh, accepting that it's going to, A, preserve you for the long haul, but, but also make you the best person uh, for the scenarios that you come across. Um, part of my story, and he keeps his, his balance. I texted him after mass event last night. He responded this morning. Sorry, my phone was already off. Isn't that good? Um, so part of my story, you know how Paul, when he talked about, like, I was a Jew that was raised in Tarsus, and I was uh, tutored under Gamil. I'm kind of like a Jew of all Jews. My vanilla, boring, dork life I told you about, I'm kind of a Lutheran of all Lutherans, okay? My, I'm a pastor's daughter. I got to go to Lutheran schools. I got a ministry, and I just got to learn from a lot of wonderful people. But that's kind of who I was, okay? And so I got into ministry, and I, I worked hard. I worked really hard to be good and to love my people and do well. But somewhere in the process over all those years, I lost my compass on Jesus. Somehow it came about, um, it wasn't um, a ministry. It was kind of how I was defining me. It's by my faith is defined by what I'm doing, not by the God who died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. And I kind of came to an identity crisis. Am I Heidi? the church worker, or am I Heidi, the daughter of the Most High God? And the truth is, what I can do with filthy rags, it's the Most High God who can do these things. And, and resetting my compass was something I needed to do because it was wrong, it was sinful, it was broken. And, and frankly, I got very sick living that kind of life, physically sick. Um, it kind of came to a head because it was out of balance. And then God brought me healing, and in his gentleness, he showed me, whoa, girl, it's about me, not about you. So in the urban setting, like I said, I'm, I'm new to this, and I am learning every day. I am not the expert on urban. That's why I ask Michael lots of things, because he's better at it than me. But I am okay because Jesus gets urban. He understands what happens in the homes, in the hearts, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in my community. And he fights those fights. He's okay when these people come in, like that, that young boy who had all kinds of academic needs. And, and I can't always answer that, but Jesus can. And Jesus fights for him. And he lets me, because he loves me so well, he lets me love them faulty and broken though I am, and hopefully and prayerfully, Jesus shines through in that relationship. So our compass has to be on Jesus. He's the rock. We're the shifting sand, and it's good. And that's, I think, where I'm looking at my journeys. 
six years in an urban setting, that's how my family, we're doing it. And we're tired. And sometimes we need to step back because our boundaries aren't so good sometimes. We just like, we need to check out. We need, and sometimes for us to do that, we leave town. Okay, so that we can just remove and rejuvenate so we can be fresh and come back. Because it's exhausting. And I will tell you, when God is using you, the devil is thwarting you and, and attacking you and trying to mess it up. Because when God is do, at work is when the enemy is, is taking attack at us. So being rooted to Jesus and having those relationships that help you do that, I, I have found it been part of um, our anchor. So my question, um, what have you found to help keep a healthy spiritual heart balance in your situation? Well, my friends, there are just a couple key points that, that, that Mike and I have learned in our ex joint experiences that we feel are real important as, as we venture to love people in our urban cities. And um, we pray for you, and I'd like to pray for you as we leave. If you want to continue this conversation, Mike and I can hang out in the hall, but the next group's going to come in, so we'll be out in the hall if you want to talk specifics or be encouraged, we'd be happy to listen and do that for a little bit here this afternoon. So dear Father, I thank you for these people who love you and love your cities. And I just ask that you fill them boldly with your spirit to love well, to um, listen well, and to be your light and your life and your hope in their cities. Lord, in Acts, the, the church often started in the city centers, and that's where the fire started and grew. May it be so again in our country and in our world that our cities become um, burning places of faith for you. In your name we pray. Amen.